Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, I am joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Doing all right. I was in Las Vegas this week for a work trip, so I wasn't able to catch all the games, which maybe is a good thing, considering how the team played. Also gives me a bit of a window here to, to rant about something that, that I've noticed, which is that this team is bunting, sack bunting a lot for a manager who said he doesn't like to give away outs. And I understand there are rare cases where actually it makes sense. It increases the win probability. I get that. But that's not really what's happening. First two of Oscar Colas and Pittsburgh, again, might have been himself doing it without being told by a manager. But still, I didn't like that because you had Romy Gonzalez and Sebi Zavala after him, and they're both worse hitters than Oscar. Then you have Benintendi trying to do it the other night against Baltimore, I believe, and then he ends up hitting a getting an RBI hit anyway after he fails to lay the bunt down. So that was actually kind of funny that it didn't work out. And then you had whatever the hell Lenin Sosa was doing on a 2-1 count the other day. That wasn't a sack sack bunt, but it's still, I, I don't even want to talk about it. And again, you could say, oh, just the players doing it on their own and you know maybe Grafola doesn't like it. But it's his job to then tell them, hey, I don't want you randomly bunting in hitters counts or sack bunting when there are worse hitters behind you. Like, I, I don't buy that argument for more than just one player, for one instance. So I'm a little disappointed in that, honestly. I, I was hoping to not see that out of him. I don't think he's the most analytical manager ever, but I also didn't think he would be at, like, La Russa levels of bunting frequency. So that's what I'm annoyed about. I know it's ultimately a small issue for a team that's not winning anyway, but it's a bad sign in my opinion. I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I, I I'll agree on all the sack bunting. Uh, I'm a huge non-proponent of bunting in general. It, it's fun when the Orioles bunt over and they play for a run in um, the game on Saturday, and then they lose to the team who didn't just play for a run. So it's like no bunts, all for it. Bunting, not really for it. But Nick, good job with that. I'm doing fine though. Thanks for asking everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the sentiment when I was at the game that uh really got the section I was in going was could you imagine if this team has been had been bunting this much when Tony Larissa was still manager Twitter headquarters would have had to shut down because their servers would have started on fire like it's just it's insane with how much I've been seeing the bunting I got to see Len Sosa bunt in person it was awful. But anyway, great to hear that you guys are doing good. Nick, you speak for the entire fan base on the bunting point. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, we will be joined by Sean W. Anderson from CHGO White Sox here in a few minutes. But before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at SoxOn35th. Now, without further ado our great conversation interview with Sean W. Anderson. Okay, we are now joined by the host of CHGO White Sox podcast, Sean W. Anderson. You can follow him on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Sean, it's great to have you on the show. Big fan of uh, the content you put both on Twitter and on the airwaves. You know, I've always really liked the content you bring out. I think I speak for everybody on the pod when I say that. Um, just to uh, just to kind of start a little bit more casual, what's what's what made you a White Sox fan? What kind of got you started in following the wonderful team on 35th and Shields? Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, it, it's great to be on uh, the new revamped Sox on 35th pod. So congrats. Uh, you know, we needed another White Sox podcast. There's now 26. Uh, we're at a, we're at a great number. Uh, who's your favorite 26 White Sox? Nikki Delmonico? I don't, anyways. Um, Avi Garcia? Um, Avi Garcia all the way, baby. <laughs> he's an all-star. Um, but yeah, no, very excited to be on here. And uh, I was a Cubs fan first. Uh, I was My birth date is the 21st, uh, and my favorite color was blue. So when Sammy Sosa's hitting 60 home runs in your city, it's, it's tough not to love that guy. But in 2004, corked his bat, Cubs stunk, 
I already broke my heart since 2003. So I was like, you know what? I'll go to the winning side because my dad was a Sox fan. I'm a Southsider. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I left Cubs fandom in 2004 right before 2005 and after they win the World Series that year. It's tough to change after that. So, you know, uh, yeah, I, I was a Cubs fan first. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that I've had to come to terms with. I just have to, you know, if, I, if I'm not honest with myself and everybody else, then, you know, I just I'm a liar. No, hey, at least you're straight up about it. I feel like uh, I feel like a lot of people bounce back and forth, and they don't really tell anybody about it until uh, a team is really good on one side of the, one side of the city or the other. Because it feels like we're never good at the same time. So like everyone just wants to constantly watch good baseball, so they can't go through the uh, you know the the tough patches, you know the post Chris tra- uh, Chris Sale trade patches. You know what I mean? So. It's nice that you're honest about that. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad you've stuck it out with us, even though uh, it could be a little difficult at times. <laughs> well, and to your point, too, Duke, like uh, in 2020, I mean, we saw all the people predicting Cubs, Sox, World Series because the two teams were good at the same time. So when they are good at the same time, people get delusional and it's scary. <laughs> but at the same time, you did also stay uh, once the Cubs won in 2016. So that, that's good credit to your part. Yeah, it, it was, I really wasn't even tempted. You know, I, I, th- there was a part of me that was rooting for them in 2016 just because, you know, the Sox weren't in it. I didn't really have a team that, was, that I was rooting for. But then when Raja Davis hit that home run, I was like, oh, this would be funny. It would be really funny if they lost. Um, so I, di- I didn't mean it in any hateful way, but I would have been fine if Cleveland won it in 20, sure. 2016, especially in Game 7 after uh, Raja Davis hit that homer because, uh, yeah, I, I started going crazy for that one because that's just great baseball. Right. Yeah, no, and you, you started getting a little bit of a taste where it's like, man, Cleveland Cleveland can really pull this off, you know? And it, I just, when, when you're around as many Cubs fans as, you know, you can be in that time, sure, you have your fan, your friends that are like, all right, this guy's a diehard Cubs fan. Would love to see it, w- Cubs win for them. But then you have the guys that are like just the worst people on the planet about it, need to tell everybody how great the Cubs are at all times and how terrible that your baseball team is, so... Yeah, um, but you know, kind of moving forward, that's that's great stuff. I'm glad again. I'm glad you can admit that you were a Cubs fan first, um, and I'm glad you came to the right side of the city. Uh, how did your career bring you to CHGO? How uh, how did you become the man with Herb Lawrence over on the White Sox side of things? The reason I'm at CHGO is Herb Lawrence, and I know he doesn't like when I say that, but um, it's true. Um, Thankfully, Herb Lawrence spoke up for me uh, when I had Jordan unlocked on White Sox. I, I had that job because Chris Tannehill and Herb Lawrence spoke up for me. So um, I, I put myself in the situation of, you know, wanting to be in radio, uh, getting into a, a different radio cluster and working promotions and then, you know, going to Odyssey, the scores cluster and working promotions there, working myself up to a producer. And then I just got lucky where, you know, I worked hard and Herb and Tanny were like, hey, Let's give him a shot. So uh, people speaking up for me, honestly. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I worked hard, but, uh, you know, if Herb Lawrence didn't speak up for me when uh, they were starting CHGO, uh, I don't think I'd be with him and Vinny. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think just putting myself in a spot to know somebody who would speak up for me and uh, somebody who climbed and pulled up, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky to know Herb Lawrence. So, uh, I mean, in the question, you kind of answered it. You know, You've come a long way from the days where the left on White Sox days where I believe you were in your closet uh, when we did that interview. Yeah. So you've come a long way. It looks like you got a bit of an upgrade over there at CHGO. Yeah, now I have a, a roadcaster. Uh, I didn't have to pay for it. It's, it's real nice. There's an office space here. And uh, even at my new apartment, I have an actual office, too. So uh, no more closet for me. Uh, I've, I've upgraded, Jordan. So, yeah, uh, humble beginnings. But it, it's very cool to see kind of how you've – Kind of, like you said, risen up that ladder, had those people who are like, hey, good dude, hard worker, knows his White Sox baseball, and kind of gets you to that point. So it's very cool to see kind of that progression uh, from someone who was there when you were in your closet. (laughs) Yeah, and I appreciate you guys always uh, supporting me every step of the way, you know. Uh, It's great. And, hey, um, you know, when everyone asks me, like, what I do, I still can't believe that I just be like, you know, I I watch White Sox games, and then I I talk about the White Sox. Like, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I I have to pinch myself every day because it's just, it's the coolest damn job in the world. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, I think Jordan, you, you really said it all. Like it's always great seeing a guy just put in the work, you know, put in, put in all the hours and just kind of uh, really make that meteoric rise to uh, where they are today. You know, and you, dude, you, you earned it, you know, all, all the hard work pays off. Um, all it takes is that one person to give, finally give you the chance. And I think you've more than proved that uh, you were the guy for the job. So I, it's, Again, it's great to have you on, and it's always great to hear a lot of your content. 
Um, so just kind of looking at it from the outside, looking in just over like a, a, a broad scope, what is your pulse on the White Sox for the first few weeks of the season? Like, do we have like, what are the early struggles? Is there anything that's worrying you? Is there anything that kind of has you feeling positive? What is your feel on the 2023 Chicago White Sox currently? I feel like every single pitch, every single uh, game result, my attitude changes. I have no clue what to think about the 2023 White Sox. They're saying prove it, and clearly their record being 6-9, and nine, nice. Um, but just it, it's difficult to have any faith that, you know, they're going to be above 500. They weren't last year, and all the projections said that they weren't going to be in 2023. Yet I... I'm out here predicting 83 wins. It's above 500, but again, I, I don't know how they're going to get there. And I think, honestly, a lot of it has to depend on this Sunday result. They haven't won a series yet. Are they going to win a series? There's another chance against a rookie pitcher and your aces on the mound to end a series. Maybe Mother Nature doesn't allow them to play, but if they have the Orioles coming into their park and they lose again with their ace on the bump, I'm going to be in the dumps. I mean, come on. Being bitter will be back tomorrow. I mean, like that's it, it would be really sad for them not to, in the first four series, win one. And, and they've been in all of them. And it's just kind of showing me that they can't close. And if you can't close, then when are you going to win a series? When are you ever going to beat Buff 500? So, um, again, it's April. What, I mean, what? there's been about 15 games. You're going to be 16 after today. It's tough to say that they're dead. They're done. The AL Central's bad. I don't think the Cleveland Guardians are that good. We see that the Minnesota Twins are banged up, and yet, you know, they're now 2-1 and one against us. So it, it, you had the chance to truly sweep the Minnesota Twins, and you couldn't even put the nail in that coffin. So, yeah, I'm still excited about this team. There's, I'm, not, I'm not giving up on this team, but there's so many turns where it's just like nothing's actually changed. Nothing's changed from 2022, and that sucks. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Sean there. I think that... I, I, yeah, it's too early to make any you know bold predictions or proclamations about what this team is or isn't. But that being said, the idea that things still feel the same, it's just so pervasive. For me, it's the offense, really just looking at the trends. As of yesterday, they were still second in the league in ground ball rate. Um, they're not pulling the ball in the air enough. It's the same thing we've been harping on for what feels like two or three years now. And we thought that changing out the coaching staff would help. And maybe, you know, it's too early to say that it hasn't. Of course, it's been, you know, 15 games. But at the same time, it's just like you're watching the same team over and over again, with the exception of, you know, having a different face in the dugout and, and Andrew Benintendi. Otherwise, everything's pretty much the exact same in terms of the offense. And they deserve more time. I think one thing that I think it was Jordan who said in an earlier episode that it was nice to see them hitting a lot of doubles because that at least is a step up from just being singles only. At the same time, it would be nice to see the ball go over the fence more, especially from anybody other than Jake Berger, which is not a knock on him, just to say that it would be nice to see other people step it up, I guess Luis Robert Jr. too. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of in a wait-and-see approach, but would really love to see the offense maybe have a little bit more patience, maybe stopping the ball on the ground very soon, because it's very frustrating to watch the same thing over and over. And I think at the same time, there are some positive trends to some of what we've seen with the offense. I think an increase in doubles has been a big part of it. And that's, again, baby steps is kind of what I'm preaching by saying that. I, I, another thing I look at, you know, everyone's pointing out the walk rate, still low, still an issue. Um, ground ball rate, still high, still an issue. Looking at individual players, just in terms of approaches, I feel like has been a bit better in terms of some of the guys. Louise Robert, chase rate. From 41% last year to 38% this year. Basically the same, a little bit lower, but at least it's not worse. Um, both Andrew Vaughn and Tim Anderson have seen their chase rates drop drastically from last year. Grandalis has gone up. However, he's also swinging the most he ever has in his career. That's been a good thing so far as he's knocking on the door of 300. Jimenez and Moncada have seen their chase rates rise a bit. Moncada's hasn't really changed. Jimenez, maybe just in-season adjustments, he hasn't been healthy. So maybe that's just a part of getting into that adjustment period. I, I think the general consensus here is going to be, yeah, it's too early. There's some negatives. There's some positives. Um, when it comes to looking at both the offensive profile, the bullpen, starting pitching, 
it's 15 games. The highs are going to be super high. The lows are going to be super low. It, I think, Sean, you said it perfectly. It, it changes every pitch, every inning, every game, every day. It's changing so rapidly that it's like, let's just get through the next two weeks. Let's get through the next three weeks. Let's figure out what this team is once things start to stabilize. Well, and can I give you guys an example? Just yesterday, the Saturday game. Jake Berger ties Jorge Mateo in 2023 home runs. They both have three. Jake Berger is now second in the team in home runs. He didn't make the opening day roster. So, again, I I don't know how to stomach that to the point where my guy, Andrew Vaughn, who I'm trying to say he's ready to take over Jose Abreu, his OPS is currently 830, which is matching Jose Abreu's past three years outside of 2020. So he's filling the role fine. He's a little bit below average uh, at defense, but also it's April. Maybe he'll get a little bit more comfortable in the position. And like Jordan said, his walk rate's nearly 15%. I mean, Andrew Vaughn has been fine. But here I am questioning where they could play Jake Berger because every time he swings and makes contact, it's 115 miles per hour off the bat. You need a bat like that in the lineup. But he can't play third base, but you kind of need him to because Hanser Alberto now just went to the IL and Yohan Moncada's back is on the IL. So where, who's your third baseman? It's Jake Berger, who Vinny, right before he played third base in 2023, is telling me he'll never play th- third base again. So that's pretty drastic right there. Does he play first base, right? You know, that, that makes the most position. That's where he's been this whole spring training. But are you really going to bench Andrew Vaughn? But, like, you can't play Vaughn anywhere else. We saw that. He can't play the outfield. You really need the DH spot for Aloy Jimenez because he can't stay healthy. Like, this, this team's just a mess. And Andrew Benatendi, like... I, I, you spent $75 million on that man. Like that was your off season. Like you go out, like Nick said, it's like all that's changed is Ben attendee. And like, he's not walking. And to your point, they're not pulling fly balls. My guy, Andrew Vaughn has not hit a home run yet. You look at his spray chart. There's no pulled fly balls. It's, it's the, the best pulled fly ball was the Pablo Lopez double. That was truly just a flare. That was to the warning track. Like he, he just got it over the left fielder. Like in even Ben attendee, he's like, he's, the same guy that we saw. It's a lot of opposite field fly balls. I, I really don't love the makeup of this team. They need to walk more, and they need to start hitting for power. And I don't understand how the Orioles, with their players that are you know, not these top prospects like Andrew Vaughn, Aloy Jimenez, whatever. And you know, they got Jorge Mateo, whose career high before this was 13. He's got three already. Like, I don't, you, you talked about ball and error at the, the trade deadline, and have you done that, Rekhan? Like, I, what, what have you actually done to make those changes? I don't understand how this team is not selling out for power and doing it somewhat successfully. They keep failing. I think the biggest thing is the, the Jake Berger point for me. It's like, three home runs, that's great. How did you not put him on this opening day roster? I think that was a conversation we all sort of had. Um I think of whatever, how many episodes ago was we're like putting it out. It's like, I have a hard time leaving them off. I have a hard time looking at this team and saying it's better off without it. My call it hot take meatball take, whatever it's going to end up being once it inevitably gets clipped up and put on Twitter and I get destroyed for it. See what Moncada can do back at second base. If you're really that, if you really think you need to get burger in the lineup that badly, see if he can handle himself over there. Small sample size. He was terrible, or excuse me, he was terrible defensively there in 2018. Small sample size in 2017, he graded out fine there. I don't like the idea of doing it necessarily, but at a certain point, if the only guy who's selling out for that power, Sean, as you're saying, is the one you can't fit in the lineup, you almost have to fit a square peg into a round hole at some point. You know, you almost have to say, is the defensive upside or excuse me, is the offensive upside worth the defensive truly downgrade it's going to be to move Jake Berger into a fielding position other than first base? Again, hot take me, but whatever it's going to end up being, it's something that almost has to be seriously considered. Again, you don't want to overreact to 15 games, but when the only guy right now hitting home runs is the guy who you couldn't even make the opening day roster because he didn't have a position the, the common saying is, you know, hit the baseball, they'll find a position for you. And it, it almost feels like that's what the Sox have to do here, if this is something we still see two, three weeks from now, obviously. 
Well, I think the way you have to look at it, you guys touched on a lot of a lot of my favorite points with the White Sox because I was a, very much a big Jake Berger guy. Even last year, really trying to push him to stay on the major league roster in any way that you can. I understand the idea that it's very hard to try to keep him on the field, especially when you have a Yoan Moncada at third base. Um, and, you know, I always I always kind of memed about the idea of playing Jake Berger at second base, but obviously that's not realistic. Um, well, but, you know, wait, I, Duke, let me just – can I follow up with a meatball take here? Go ahead. Jordan brings up Yoan Moncada moving back to second base. I think that's a, a bad idea because we see Yoan fall a ball off his leg and then he gets completely disinterested in the game. You put him at second base, he's going to be disinterested. He doesn't want to play second base. He's a great fielder at third base. Don't fix what's broken. He barely, you know, we, we barely get the production we want out of Yoan Moncada. Uh, so I, I don't think moving him to second base is the right thing. The real thing, the real meatball take here is that what the White Sox should have done instead of putting Andrew Vaughn in right or left field, has made him a second baseman. Tony LaRusso wanted it. He's a better athlete than Jake Berger. I'm just saying, we've seen Mike Moustakas do it. I, th- I think if we saw Andrew Vaughn lumber out in left field and right field, I would have seen at least a season of, of Vaughn at second base. So Jer- Jake Berger's just not quick enough. He's, he's, a, he's such a bad fielder. I mean, like, I, 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 don't, I would hate to give up Moncada, who plays nearly elite or at least, you know, top 75 percentile defense at third. Um, I'd hate to give that up for Jake Berger, who's going to make an error at like and that's two errors series. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like the question of, is the offensive upside worth the de- defensive downgrade? Probably not actually at the end of the day, that that's kind of how y- you see that question kind of answering itself. You know, we've seen the issues as they've operated. Andrew Vaughn at second base is something I, I feel like we saw it in a spring training game or something. Like they, they at least real, tossed real it game. around. He started there in Kansas City a couple of years ago, and I don't he remember did. anything crazy happening. Yeah, a doubleheader. Yeah, doubleheader. Yep, it was like a weird Larusa lineup game, but that was it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's pretty par for the course for a Tony Larusa lineup, anyway. But um, I, I guess. To my point that I've been I've been dying to make here for a minute because you guys have brought up a lot of the points I make up with Jake Berger as far as offensive outside upside against defensive downside, I I'll wager you this: this is the name that always comes to my head when we have this discuss discussion. He's a guy who is um, not a baseball Hall of Famer, but should be a baseball Hall of Famer. He was a horrendous fielder, but he played a lot of second base, third base, and first base. And his name was Jeff Kent. He was a guy who could flat out hit baseballs. And he could hit so well that teams would accept how bad he was on the defensive side of things because he, he produced that much on offense. Now, I'm not saying Jake Berger is Jeff Kent, but I'm saying there is a legitimate argument that can be made that the offensive upside is good enough for the defensive downside. Um, and, I, you know, while I do agree that I don't want him starting every day in the field, you know, do I want to see him mess around at DH a little bit more? Yes. And do I think he'd be a more than competent first baseman if Andrew Vaughn were to play second? A hundred percent. I actually really like that idea. I do also think that, you know, while Yoan's, you know, feelings should be taken into consideration to a point, Yoan would, he would profile so well with what his normal numbers are as a second baseman. Anyway, he'd be one of the best power hitting second baseman in the league compared to where he's kind of a mid-tier power hitter at third base right now. And I know that doesn't necessarily like totally matter in a sense, but I really think Johan could even try to earn himself a little bit more money on that second contract, hitting what he does now at second base if he were to take that kind of role. Um, do I want to give up a potential gold glover at the hot corner? Mm, that's a hard discussion to have. But when Jake Berger has not only done it in these 15 games, but has also had a pretty strong stretch last year where he was hitting for power, he, he at a certain point was carrying our offense, You know, at a time where our offense was completely dead. Um, people were trying to do the your mean Mercedes comparison to him, but I really think he profiles so much better as a natural hitter, and I think that's why he was a first-round pick in the first place. So I do think uh, I agree. There's a lot of there is downside to it, but at a certain point, when a guy's hitting, you have to find a way to keep him in the lineup every day. And you know, while while some people might kind of start coming to the idea that like, oh well, does Aloy need to be in the lineup every day? That's that's something we need to see play out as well. Um, I think Aloy is too good of a hitter not to be, but Regardless, Jake Berger, we need to score runs, especially if our bullpen's going to play the way it is. Um, and I think that's really the direction we need to go. We need to find a way to get Jake Berger in the, into the lineup. And I, I genuinely, I agree with you guys. I can't believe he was not an opening day guy. Well, right now with Hanser and Moncada on the IL, we don't have to worry about Berger not getting playing mm-hmm. time. He will. Um, Berger will be getting playing time. So at least for the next 10 days or so, whatever, 
um, he'll be fine and he'll be getting playing time. Two, if he keeps hitting, he'll probably just knock Hanser Alberto off the team. I mean, do we need Hanser Alberto on this team? I mean, they, they're both below average defenders. I mean, J- Jake Berger's a better baseball player. He just might make the roster that. Um, the Kent thing is interesting, but, like, it doesn't even matter if he plays defense. Like, they, 30 teams have DHs. Like, you don't have a D, you can't really make him the Sox DH because you're paying the Sox DH $43 million. You can't make him the third baseman because you're paying the third baseman $75 million, right? Like, the White Sox have their money made. Like, that's why Yasmani Grandal isn't going to be going off this team anytime soon. Hey, he's blocking uh, pretty well so far. If, if you're if you're looking at Statcast, top blocker, <laughs> top blocker as of Sunday. I was gonna tweet Ridiculous. it. I was gonna tweet it, but I'm waiting a little bit before I <clears throat> open my mouth and Chuck then you to it. stick my foot in it later. But Chuck beat you to it. Chuck, oh, Chuck's already he? got the Statcast. Yeah, Statcast oh, leaderboard. I saw it from Chuck first. Dang. Um, but but uh, that's the thing is like I just. Will Jake Berger have value in, in the, the, the trade market? Like, I don't need Jake Berger on this team. Like, you know, we, we have a lot of power-hitting righties. Like, get me a power-hitting lefty. Like, Gavin Sheets, ugh. Like, I, I, Gavin Sheets' walk rate is great. Oh, my God, it's the best on the team. Can he hit a double? Can he hit, like, uh, the ball hard? Everything is just – I mean, he's like Andrew Benatendi, but 6'4". And he can't play defense. Like, I, I – Gavin Sheets is the one that really bugs me because he's he might be a bad baseball player. Jake Berger can hit. Um, Jake Berger could be a bench bat. I mean, hey, make him Matt Stairs. I mean, I, I don't know what he is. Um, maybe he doesn't have a ton of trade value, but, I mean, he might be a guy that, you know, come 31, he just gets a ton of playing time, and it's like Dan Vogelbach. I mean, like, he, he's he, his his power is insane. I just don't know if he's going to be a White Sox. I don't know if he's he, he needs to be on the Sox, you know? Yeah, and I feel like that's been a discussion that's been had really over the past, really, two years. Essentially, since Jake's gotten healthy and has shown flashes of being that batter that he was drafted to be. Um, is is he somebody that was floated in trade discussions this past offseason? You know, it's hard to know because Rick Hahn usually holds that stuff pretty close to the chest. Um, I kind of had him predicted as being one of the pieces of a potential Sean Murphy trade before the season. Um, obviously, that never came to fruition. But, um, you know, and you also have to wonder, was the uh, was the rumor about the Phillies and Gavin Sheets legitimate? And why it, why didn't we try to pull the trigger on that? You know, what is, what is Rick Hahn's beholdenness to a guy like Gavin Sheets. I understand the idea of having ideal matchups as far as lefties and righties bats, but you can't hold on to Gavin Sheets because he hits the occasional bomb when he really just isn't doing a lot more else with the bat. You know what I mean? Well, and the Sheets thing is interesting, too, just with the Phillies, just because we see Kevin Long taking all these lefties like Kyle Schwarber, Brandon Marsh, Jake Cave, and trying to turn him into sluggers. So if Kevin Long might be seeing something in Gavin Sheets, uh, that just tells me again, like, hey, I wanted Kevin Sheet, uh, Kevin Long uh, on as the White Sox hitting coach. Uh, but like again, like, what is Pedro Grafal, Mike Tozar, and uh, Chris Johnson doing? Like, I love Chris Johnson's energy and and how he was like, oh, we're gonna hit the fastball, we're gonna uh, tee in on the fastball and try to you know be a be a fastball hitting team. And you know, we just haven't really seen that attitude or, or that power or that dominance come through. The White Sox really haven't asserted themselves offensively and um, not questioning the hitting coach yet. But again, like it's just I'd like to see some revol- results or some of that talk uh, kind of uh, bear fruit here or maybe hear more from Chris Johnson because we haven't heard from him, you know, even during spring training or, or during the regular season. So it'd be nice to hear some from from the uh, the hitting coaches. So I was I was pretty strong on the Chris Johnson bandwagon last year about potentially bringing him up, and uh, if I have to jump right back on that bandwagon, I have absolutely zero issue doing that. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. really like Chris Johnson, but I'm hoping that uh, this team can uh, get a little bit more consistent with the bats. I mean, we're hitting the baseball. That's, that's not the issue. It's just more consistency. You know, we need to be able to score runs in tight games. You know, we shouldn't be losing to the Pittsburgh Pirates in a, in a gem by Kopech because we couldn't score a run. You know what I mean? So... But I think that kind of flies us to the other side of the spectrum here because we've been talking about offense quite a bit. We need to talk about the current White Sox bullpen and the management that's been going on about it. Uh, Sean, just first thoughts with what the White Sox bullpen looks like right now, whether it be how we're feeling about the arms that are coming out, when they're coming out, the decisions we're making to take people out. Um, you know, putting Kenyon Middleton in a in a tie game yesterday, and then bringing in Aaron Bummer with bases loaded is just a such a wild sequence of events, in my opinion. How how are you feeling about the White Sox bullpen currently? I didn't hate the Keenan Middleton thing. I got to be honest, the way he looked in Minnesota, he looked disgusting. I, I don't know. I mean, like right now, I, I just am questioning 
and like everyone did when they, they made all the signings, but what, 38% of the salaries being spent on the bullpen? And all I've seen this year is just why did Joe Kelly get $9 million and why did Kendall Graveman get $8 million? I mean, this team would have been helped with lefty power. You could have spent $17 million or, hey, even sprinkled the three more million and gotten to Kyle Schwarber. Like, you know, we have Jake Berger who can't play defense. It'd be nice if that guy would, was lefty and hit 40 home runs. Like, I, I, I just think that you see guys like Keenan Middleton, and yeah, he, maybe he doesn't deliver uh, against the Orioles, but he's cheap. And you could find guys like Keenan Middleton all around the MLB that are just being casted off. And if Ethan Katz is this good, where we see Jimmy Lambert, Davis Martin, Reynaldo Lopez, Keenan Middleton take those jumps, you're just wasting premium money on bad talent. I mean, we talked about this when uh, Taze announced his retirement or whatever, like last game with the Hawks. You know, when you're building out hockey lines for this White Sox team, it's Tim Anderson, Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, our first liners. Then, you know, Yohan Moncada, Dylan Cease, someone else probably, you know, in that first line. Like, they went out and spent money on second liner Andrew Benatendi. They went out and sent probably, you know, premium money on a third liner and Liam Hendricks. Like, he's a closer. And Yasmani Grandal, like, again, like, catcher isn't a hugely valuable position in baseball. Like, I wish they went out and got a a great player at a, a great position. And I feel like, you know, they tried to take those in-house shots. Manny Machado making $300 million. Like what? They were $25 million away from that. Like, you know, this, this team, I don't know how differently they would look with Manny Machado, but I'd like to see it. Um, again, it's just, I, I think this bullpen shows what I've seen through the first 15 games. It's just saying that, you know, this is why I have worries about this team being a world series champion, because I just think they've, they've misspent their money. Cause Ethan Katz seems to be all right at taking some of these forgotten about names and giving them a little bit new life. So um, I would have let Katz cook, honestly. Yeah, from a resource allocation standpoint, I, I totally agree. I think that kind of like what Sean was saying, it's definitely telling that some of the relievers that we trust most right now, and I know trust is relative because pretty much everyone's been bad out of the bullpen, relatively speaking. But, like, you know, Ronaldo Lopez, Jimmy Lambert, Aaron Bummer, these are all guys who are, relatively speaking, cheap because they're not Joe Kelly, Graveman-level free agents. You didn't have to pay them anything other than arbitration and pre-arb. So that's kind of, I guess, the overall point is it's not always who are you paying, but it's who are you finding. I think the Gregory Santos and uh, Franklin Herman trades are examples of um, people who might develop into, like, you know, a, a Lopez or Lambert type, like a dependable mid to late in guy that you should be taking chances on. And in terms of the current bullpen, I just think, I mean, first of all, we have to acknowledge, you know, no Hendricks, no Crochet is always going to make the bullpen look a lot worse, especially when um, you have you have to turn to Jake Diekman so often. Maybe you don't have to turn to him as often as they have been, but nonetheless, you he's there, you have to use him, and he just doesn't throw enough strikes. At the same time, that's kind of the problem with me for the whole bullpen right now is you rarely see pitchers who feel where you feel like they're confident on the mound, confident attacking hitters. Everything's, you're, they're, they're nibbling and they're just not throwing enough strikes. And I, I can't help but but mention they do have the highest uh, BABIP against out of any bullpen right now. I believe it was like 400 entering yesterday. So that's going to regress. But at the same time, you also can't be walking as many batters as they have because as we all know, that's just a perfect recipe to lose games. And it's annoying because it's coming from guys who, have a track record of not walking. Like Lopez last year barely walked anybody. Now he's walking people. Um, Diekman's always been a high walk guy, so you can't be too surprised by that. But you just have to hope for some positive regression there. I'm not really sure what we can do right now other than just wait for, for Crochet and Hendricks to come back. Yeah, well, and even to add on to Santos and all the guys they found in Herman, um, even Nick Avila in the, in the Rule 5 draft, like if – Kelly or Graveman weren't on this team, does Avila make it? Like, I mean, that just felt like, or they're not forced to spend the money on Diekman. Does Nick Avila make it? Like, I mean, they could have found another gem right there, 24-year-olds, because Katz knew him from the, the Giants organization for cheap. And, you know, they had to let him walk. But, I mean, that could have been another arm that they could have found and developed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, I, I, I that, that's my that's my whole issue. And, and, and I and I do think, <clears throat> I do think some of what Nick just mentioned is exactly why I'm hesitant to say, like, the bullpen's problem. Like, paying how much you paid the bullpen, don't get me wrong, that's still the problem. Bullpen BABIP entering Sunday, 395. That's 45 points higher than the next highest in Philadelphia, 50 points higher than third, who's the Dodgers. 
And the Dodgers are a team that usually they'll put together a decent bullpen at the very least, especially when they're trying to compete most seasons. By season, again, why, why do people care about Babbitt? 395 so far this year. Last two seasons for the Sox bullpen. Relatively the same piece as these past two years. 298 and 301. You assume it's going to figure itself out, see some positive regression in that sense. Maybe it's not going to be all the way down to 300 because, you know, the shift has to have some sort of impact on the game. But 395 is astronomical. Uh, That's part of the reason. You also mentioned the walk rates, Nick. Just every, almost every single one of the main seven guys in this bullpen, not counting Kelly because he's hurt, um, they all have walk rates right now well above their career norms. Deekman's at 25%. Even though he walks a lot of people, his walk, career walk rate's only 13%. Like, that's super high right now. Graveman, 8% walk rate. Right now is 19%. Like, that is a huge difference from his career. And you can go down the list, and most of these guys are either at, um, at, at their career standards or greatly exceeding those walk rates. You have to almost assume that that's what statistics are for, the career trends. You assume there's going to be some sort of positive regression there as well. Again, do I think there's issues there that need to still be fixed? Absolutely. Um, do I think it's just because career norms say they're going to do this that they're going to do it? Not necessarily. It changes every season. But at the same time, there's at least enough hope there, kind of like what I mentioned with chase rates for hitters. There's enough hope there that you can say, you know, 15 games may not be enough for me to stand up here and say this is exactly what they are. At the very least, you know, you're looking for hope these first 15 games or so. There's at least that sort of hope there. So, like, looking completely outside the numbers for me, because I thought you guys all just did an incredible job kind of breaking down, you know, career norms and whatnot, especially the walk rate, because I think that's something that's very important. And, you know, obviously, guys struggle early on in the season, but they usually get into a, get into a role, especially guys like Kendall. Like, I think Kendall will eventually get ramped up to where he normally is. I really think that not having Liam Hendricks and having that set closer piece at the end of the rotate or end of the bullpen really is hurting this team. And I think, out, you know, Ray Ronaldo is our quote-unquote closer right now. But it really hurts not being able to have a lot of these guys in the bullpen and really 100% locked in set roles right now. And I think, at least at least how I feel when I'm watching a White Sox game, is it feels like we have such a hodgepodge of guys coming into the games. Like, it doesn't feel like there's any situation right now where, say, we're in a 2-1 to ball game and we have the lead. I, I don't know who's coming out of that bullpen right, right then. You know what I, I mean? I don't know about that. I mean, I feel like what we've always talked about is that Pedro has a winning bullpen and he has a losing bullpen. So mm-hmm. even if they're down a run, that's when you'll see Jake Diekman. Or you'll, you'll see, you know, Jimmy Lambert, right? Or, or you'll see Gregory Santos. Like, I mean, when they, they win, I mean, I go to the 4-3 win that they had in Minnesota. I think they went Lambert, Bummer, Graveman, Lopez, or so, so that, that order. Um, I, I mean, I feel like he has his guys when they have a winning bullpen, and when they lose, they're just they're not going to use any of their guys. But then... It hurts them even when in Pittsburgh they're winning eleven to five. They're using their best guys still. So then when it's a one to nothing game, the next day Graveman can't go. So that's the weird thing is that if they win, it's all of the good guys, and 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 doesn't matter the right. the differential or anything. He's going to put out his best bullpen guys if they have the lead, which is just that that's baffled me. It just really does feel like win. All right, here are all our guys. Losing, here are all our, all our guys. Well, you know, and even kind of build off of that, you know, you brought up Jimmy Lambert, and you brought them both up on the losing and winning side of things. Like, I think Jimmy Lambert is turning into a high-leverage guy that we can trust, genuinely. I think he kind of proved a lot of that last year as well. I don't think I really need to see him in a in a losing effort, you know, unless we're like unless it's like a one-run ball game. And even then, that's, that, that's still a situation where – you know, Jimmy could still be used better on like the back end of a winning game. And I really think bringing in Liam and being able to use Reynaldo as a seventh or eighth inning guy is going to help us a lot. Um, as well as getting a guy like Joe Kelly healthy and back, because I thought Joe, you know, while he did have some struggles early on this year, I thought he looked significantly better than what he looked at last year, especially when it come to, uh, came to control. Um, I, I think getting guys in more kind of set roles, you know, because it still feels like we're in a feeling out process. Um, will help us a lot. And I think, um, you know, even even having the difference with, like, a Jose Ruiz starting the year on the roster and and getting the axe as quick as he did, that, th- that kind of throws things off in the bullpen because that was kind of your innings eater type guy who um, you, you have 
you know, in losing efforts. So who is that guy now? You know what I mean? Is that, is that a Jake Diekman specifically? Is that, is that a guy you want to use that's one of your few lefties in the pen in that situation? You know what I mean? So I, I think there's a lot that goes into it. I don't want to necessarily sit here and say that it's a completely random process, but I do think having a guy like Liam Hendricks will be able to lock guys in the roles a, a little bit easier. Even uh, Garrett Crochet coming back will really help the bullpen as well to kind of get dignified roles to guys that we want in certain situations. Well, and hopefully, too, just, I mean, Garrett Crochet is better than Jake Diekman, so I mean, just the bullpen <laughs> will get better, uh, just, you know, addition by subtraction. Um, but the question I have is just how have you guys felt about, about Raylo? Um, Herb and I, ha- I kind of had this discussion, and I feel like Herb is, is being a pretty tough grader on Reynaldo Lopez. He's, I think, the one guy with a role, but we kind of saw that role adjust on the 14th where he gets brought in to kind of bail Diekman out, but thumbs up, thumbs down. I mean, how, how do you feel about closer Raylo? I have been a proponent of closer Raylo, or at least the idea of high leverage Raylo. I was never his biggest fan. I think there's plenty of tweets where I've said as much. But I think once you start throwing 98 to 100 and you have a decent slider now, pretty good slider, actually, now you've talked yourself into a high leverage role. I think the walks are the concerning piece, but I've also just said that, well, he'll probably work work through that. Um and it looks like he's made small mechanical tweaks comparing just early video from this season last season. I like it. I think the White's, White Sox would benefit from, hey, let's see if we can get him on a fairly friendly deal heading into next year because I think it'll still be enough where <clears throat> that's the season they have to decide on whether or not they're going to pay Liam Hendricks. Maybe you can get away with not having to pay him $15 million this year, or excuse me, next year, um, because you have Ronaldo Lopez. I'm trending up on him, but I know people have been hard on him. I have had some people in comments or something say, like, oh, he's terrible, he's not doing I think he's been fine. I I don't think he's been light, lights out and locked down by any means, but I think he's been fine. Yeah, the, the raw numbers might not look great. I think that's because the biggest issue, kind of like what Jordan already said, is the walk rate is up compared to last year. But overall, I mean, yeah, I like the stuff. He's added some velocity to the fastball. The slider, too, is a little sharper, a little bit of that new school slider, like the one that Dylan Cease throws compared to the more like loopy Kopech type. So I think that, yeah, over time, ideally, he starts throwing strikes more. People have been hard on him. I did see some trying to hang the loss on him the other night when he came in into a tough situation and Adley Rutschman hit a double. There's, I mean, it's Adley. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to really fault the reliever there. He, he missed his spot, yes, but but still. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not ready to say, like, oh, pay, pay him, you know, and, and let him take the Hendricks spot. But kind of what Jordan was saying, I think that in the long run, something you can consider if he proves that this early season difficulty finding the zone is an aberration. Because really, even when he was a starter, I mean, obviously he was a lot worse as a starter, but he was never the kind of guy where I'm worried about him just missing the spots wildly. And I'm seeing more of that this season, so I'm wondering if it's just a short-term nerves thing where he's never closed before. He's never been a super high leverage guy. And all of a sudden he is, and it just takes some adjusting. I, I think with, uh, I think with Reynaldo, Sean, I'll keep it short and then I'll let you pop in. Uh, Cause you were the one who asked the question, but uh, I think with Reynaldo, cause I, I am a fan of Reynaldo Lopez. I always kind of have been, I think his problem. And I think everyone can attest to this is he does not know how to lay off pitches at all. Like he is a hundred percent every time he throws the baseball. And I think that really played in him failing as a starter is he just didn't know how to like, tone it back a little bit over the course of longer longer outings I I think one of the big problems with him right now is I don't know if you know and this is a very underrated point as far as you know people guys in the bullpen you know being fluid it's not that easy to jump into a closer role and know you're the last pitcher that's going to be out there you know I I think it, it might be a little bit of a mental thing with him um you know and you even see it around baseball like when the Milwaukee Brewers traded Josh Hader and you have Devin Williams going to that closer role which he was not was not used to at all. And Devin Williams, who is now an incredible closer and his stuff has always played. He struggled there for a minute in that closer role. Like it was an immediate difference in what he was given every single game compared to what he was doing in the setup role. Um, You know, is that a mental thing? Is that something where, you know, you you maybe go about your at bats a little bit differently. Maybe your pitch selection is different because of this. Um, I I don't know. I, I think, I think that could have something to do with it as well. I don't know exactly how you feel about it, Sean. Well, his chase race rate and his chase percent and swing and miss percent are about on par for for 2022 so far. As Nick mentioned, uh, velocity on both his fastball and slider are up 
I think people are being real, just judgmental uh, about a team that is losing a lot of games. When Reynaldo Lopez pitches, they are 6-2. and two. I think all of us thought that that spot on the 14th was pretty bad for him to be put in against Adley Rutschman after Jake Diekman forced him to come in. And the only other game after that that they lost was the, let's bring in Jesse Schultons for a pitch and Hanser Alberto is going to throw it into foul territory. So, outside of a Hanser error and one Jesse Schultons pitch, they're basically 6-1 and one when Reynaldo Lopez pitches. I think he's been fine at getting the job done. Has it been perfect? No. Has it been clean? No. But Jordan Alvarez hit a home run off him. That happens. Um, and they still win the game. And I think the walk rate, again, it's it's not his career norm. So I, I think that will change because, again, he's he's not – Getting, you know, he's not being, he's not worse at getting guys to swing and miss and chase outside of the zone, right? Like, I mean, that's on par. So I think that that will start to build up. Um, so I'm I'm real excited for Raylo. I don't know about an extension, um, but I mean, even the bummer thing when bummer's on, I mean, that's 16 for five looks ins- incredible. Um, so if they're able to get Reynaldo for something like that, um, yeah, I mean, it'd be it'd be a lot easier to stomach Liam leaving if he ever does. I like the uh, I, I like the bummer praise. I'm always a big bummer guy, so I, I like a little bit of bummer praise on here. I'm not going to lie about that. that. That's sweeper. I was looking <laughs> I was looking at it with the uh, pitch modeling stuff now on Fangraphs with the uh, stuff plus and then uh, just run value. He's got it's like him and Otani have like the second best sweepers in the league so far. Like when he's on and has that mm-hmm. sinker and sweeper, no one hits Aaron Bummer. That's that's the whole reason they signed him. He's not right. Jake Diekman. He's a hundred times better than Jake Diekman. Right. And I think the one other thing I want to add on, <clears throat> Raylo, and I think you both kind of mentioned it, you know, there's there's the potential transition period to becoming a closer. You know, we all talk about, you know, there's a mental side to it, and I'm not going to disagree. <clears throat> so in, in that same vein, you almost have to give the guys their chance to rein it in, control things, and then kind of see how they react. Again, 15 games. I, I keep saying it, but it, it continues to be something where, they're the highs. The highs are super high. The lows are super low, and you have to almost wait for them to even out. And I think waiting for him to, I guess, feel like he's solid in the role. He might not have that much time because Liam might be back sooner rather than later, but the more opportunities you can get him in that spot, the better. Peaks and valleys of White Sox Twitter, I tell you. I, 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 don't, I, don't, know if there's, I, like, I don't know if that's on a T-shirt yet. But just peaks and valleys of Sox Twitter is something that needs to be on there because I, I agree with you. It is it's fifth, what fifteen games? Like we are so up and down with every single one of these things. It always makes for good content, but um, yeah, it's definitely something we have to deal with. But um, I know we touched on Andrew Vaughn a little bit earlier, Sean. But um, I know you're a huge Andrew Vaughn guy. I mean, your cover photo on Twitter always gets me every time I look to your profile. <laughs> it's always like I'm just staring eye to eye, to eye with Andrew Vaughn. It's it's horrifying and great at the same time (laughs) um what are I was at the game yesterday and I saw him hit an absolute wall shot that was just under the catch if you if people know what that's referring to um and I it nobody feels more due for a home run in this lineup what do you what do you think Andrew needs to do maybe to uh start getting the power stroke going a little bit more dude I don't know um he's done a great job at laying off pitches I thought him going up against Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray, he looked fantastic. Those guys wanted him to bite on sliders outside of the zone, and he said, "Fuck y'all." Uh, I don't know if you could, if you guys swear on here. But sure, yeah, you're all good. Um, you're all good. <laughs> when, it's, when it gets to Andrew Vaughn, I get I get real excited. But I, I looked up his zone profile stuff on, on Statcast, and I, I I have been hesitant to give out a ton of stats for the 2023 year so far, just because it's been 15 games. Um, but looking at him versus the slider. You look at the zone, uh, the run value by zone. Um, there are two negative zones, and they are in the strike zone, low and away, though. It's, it's kind of middle outside, uh, middle away, and then uh, middle, lower middle. Um, but the corner, like actually outside of the zone where it would be a ball, um, a 1.8 run value. So he's just not attacking that pitch. I I think a big thing that he needs to figure out, and I don't think we've seen a ton, but we saw it a lot last year, is taking that low slider the other way. And I think if he figures that out, we always hear that about hitters. If he's able to start doing that, um, I I think think he'll figure it out, and and the the power stroke will start coming. Um, A lot of the stuff that that he's been hitting is, is up the middle. But my frustration is, I mean, he talked about pulling fly balls this entire spring training. 
you had spring training to start doing this. And Andrew Benatendi and Andrew Vaughn, for the first 15 games, haven't been doing that. So, you know, whether he's laying off these pitchers or not, he's still not doing what's important. He needs to hit 21 or 20 home runs for this team. I mean, there's no way around it. Right now he's at zero. So, I mean, he's just the, – the longer he waits, the, the longer he's, uh, he's going to struggle. But it seems like he's really selling out for power and that's causing his swing and miss to go up. And that, that frustrates me just because he was so dominant last year at not swinging and missing. So, I don't know. I think he's trying to figure out what he is. But he, I think he's, his, his approach at the plate has been good. And I think, I think the, the, the walk rate around 15% is, is something Sox fans should take. I think that everything else would come. Because even, too, like the double that you bring up yesterday, it was on an OO count. His current average exit velocity on OO counts is 69.9 mile, or 69.6 miles per hour. That was at 109. So that's a great sign. Like attacking first pitch and he's hitting it 109 off the bat. That's a great sign for Andrew Vaughn. If he keeps doing that, I think the homers will come. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, he's swinging more on, on OO as well. So, um, you know, if he's able to try to get that average exit velocity back to his career norm around 90, we'll probably see a lot of positive regression for Andrew Vaughn's power. Yeah, I think the thing that's mildly frustrating about Vaughn so far is a lot of the time, not yesterday, but a lot of the time his hardest contact this year is going into the ground. Like he'll, he, he hits the ball hard a lot, you know, he'll have, he'll have a, you know, 105 plus regularly, but it'll be, you know, with a negative five degree launch angle, so he's getting a single or, or grounding out. So I, I do mostly agree with Sean. I think that it's just the kind of thing where it'll come over time. I think it was a great point on taking a low and away slider to right field um, being a potential indicator. I agree with that. It is at the same time, though, I'm not saying Sean was doing this, but in general, I do think people are being too hard on him in the sense that, yes, I'd like to see him in a home run. Yes, I've seen the stat that the White Sox are one of two teams that don't have a home run from a first baseman yet. But A, it's 15 games, and B, you're talking about a guy who has been right around a 400 on base percentage pretty much the whole season with, you know, a 130 or above weighted runs created plus. Like, he's objectively been very good. It's just a matter of do you believe he can sustain this patience at the plate without hitting for power? That's the thing where I understand, you know, it, it becomes harder. But overall, I think that the patience he's showing at the plate, I mean, he's really just not biting on a lot of pitches that he would at least check swing on or, or swing and miss on in prior seasons. And while it's hard to say that that's sustainable or not, it is an indicator that he's at least growing as a hitter, getting better at recognizing pitches early. And that, to me, is enough to tell me that if he's recognizing pitches better, then in time he should be better at also attacking pitches. And it's just a matter of can he, can he pull the ball? Can he hit in the air? Because the exit velocity is there, the pitch recognition is there. It just feels like there's one more step to kind of going from good to great. And I would love to see that happen in the next few weeks. I think you hit it perfectly. It's a, it's <clears throat> you're clo- slowly seeing the development process start, right? It's you know sliders were a huge issue last year. Now sliders, he, he seems to be laying off us at a better rate. Chase rates down. He looks like a more complete version of a hitter. Now it's that next step of pulling fly balls and hitting home runs in the uh, getting balls in the air so you can hit home runs. It's that next level of development. Again, I do think we all have to keep in mind. There was no, there, there's almost a year or two essentially of development that was kind of cut out. The 2020 season, as well as any time in double or triple A to kind of really just have that extra development. It might take a little bit longer. So if it takes a couple extra weeks in this year before we start seeing a pull for power, I'm, I'm fine waiting a little bit longer. I think that's sort of that next step that I think both Sean, you, and Nick alluded to with that. Well, you know, and I do think just just to kind of wrap up the point here. Um, I do think playing first base every day, um, you know, playing in the field, it, it changes a little bit of what guys do at the plate. I think uh, I think you could find some career statistics of how guys play in the field compared to how they play it, like a DH, which is something that Andrews played quite a bit of, especially with the Aloy Jimenez injuries over the last few years. So him playing at first base is something that I think he's getting used to as well. Um, you know, he he's got the athleticism of Paul Canerco, and I say that in the most endearing way possible. So. Um, being able to get fielding in as well as hitting for power. Maybe that's something that just takes a little bit of time, you know? So, but anyway, Sean, it has been great having you on the show. I thought this was an incredible conversation. Um, host of CHGO White Sox and CHGO Bets. That was something I also didn't bring up. Uh, you're actually over there with my boy, uh, my boy, Cody Del Mondo. Um, unfortunately he's a Cubs fan, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Sean, it's been great having you on here. Is there anything, uh, you want to bring up? You want to plug anything exciting coming up, uh, coming up here soon? 
No, I appreciate it. Yeah, we do uh, we do post games mostly after every single game. So if you guys are looking for some coverage that's non NBC Sports Chicago because they've ruined Sox math and uh, hate me, um, you know, come over and join Herb, uh, Vinny, and I. Uh, but yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. It was uh, great talking White Sox with you, and hopefully they can uh, they can start winning some games. And yeah, speaking of Sox math. Stay off of me. I got I got to answer for you when you start pulling in these wins. I get in trouble with Joe where he's like, "Oh, Sean's better than you. Oh, Sean's got something. He's, he's always got something to say when you start winning." So lay off me a little bit, huh? How many how many wins have, have you got this Just year? Just one this year. Okay, so we're, we're neck and neck. I I don't know if I'm gonna play anymore. Cause it's just you know, there's no video. I sent in a a very clean. <laughs> broadcast friendly photo of Andrew Vaughn and they didn't even put it up. So it's like, and you guys have me blocked on Twitter and be a white Sox talk. So it's like, do you guys even want me? You know, I mean, I I feel just Jason just kind of, you know, Jason, you could just hear the tone in Jason's uh, DMS that it's just like, he doesn't, he doesn't want me sending anything in. So, you know, I might, I might have to retire. Uh, for socks math, I might just have to DM you the answers, Jordan, so you could just see how many times. You I know, like, we'll, we'll we'll play it that way. Let's see how many times then that you uh, beat me in those DMs because I'm hoping to win <laughs> once a month. I'm hoping that that's what what I'm going to go with. But I mean, well, are you always like ready for that fourth inning? Yeah, when I play, it's it's religious. I've got the the computer ready. I've got the phone ready to go. It's I've got a reputation on the line. That's the problem. I got I got a whole page that Joe has dedicated to Jordan Wynn Sox math on Twitter. I I, I have a lot to to behold with this one. So, yeah, I know. Anytime I hear I see the the, the graphic, I just immediately go to Baseball yep. Reference stat head, and I'm just trying to make sure if it's a lot of adding or a lot of run differential stuff, I'll just quit from that point. But if it's like Career home runs versus uh, ga- total games played, you know, that, that stuff's the easiest. Give me, give me two little uh, math things to do, and I'll, I'll win Sox math. That's the problem for me is when it's like add this and then subtract. And multiple, I'm like, oh, man, I can't do mental math in my head. It's slowing me down. <laughs> well, and the pitch clock is ruined Sox it's math because, again, they have to just completely get rid of the, uh, the graphic yeah. right away because they have to throw all these pitches in 15 yep. seconds. I hear you. <clears throat> Nerds. <laughs> I don't see your name. Yeah, on I was going to say NBC Sports broadcast Duke. Exactly. I I am awful at math. I'm not a math guy. I'm only a math guy in relative to sports, but I It's sports it's it's a sports broadcast. Do you not have a calculator on your phone? <laughs> yeah, it's easy oh, to make okay. fun so, when you're so not the winning. Sports math nerds around me about calculators now. Now I know how you guys are doing it. I'll just have a calculator ready for the fourth inning every single time. It's easy to make fun <laughs> when you're not the one winning. It's like a scroll uh, down. <laughs> See how easy it is? Nerd. It's just a scroll down. <laughs> five plus five equals ten. <laughs> ten plus ten equals fuck you, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thank it's you, been a Sean. Great, it's been a great interview. Yeah, thank thanks, you. guys. Appreciate it. And that was our interview with uh, Sean W. Anderson over at CHGO Sports. Always always great talking with that guy, whether you catch him at the ballpark, whether you listen to the podcast over at uh, CHGO White Sox, um, CHGO Bets, if uh, you are a big betting person as well. He, he, always great content with that guy. He always knows his stuff, um, gets, gets really into a conversation. Um, love going back and forth with him with the banter. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on some of the stuff that he said? Jordan, I'll let you go ahead and take it first. Yeah, first of all, again, Sean, thank you for joining us. It was an awesome, awesome back and forth, awesome episode. Um, I think the biggest thing that he kind of stressed is the same thing we're all kind of stressing. Like, it's still early. It's hard. The highs are high. The lows are low. Um, I won't complain about one less competitor in Sox math either. But, you know, take that for what it is. But, Sean, thanks for joining. Yeah, for sure. It was a great conversation. Thanks to Sean and I think the one thing for me is we all know as White Sox fans about the resource allocation toward the bullpen. And, you know, we hear about it all the time, but hearing him talk about it and, you know, what the money could have gone to just really bummed me out a little bit. I was like, oh, not not that I haven't thought about it before, but it just really reinforces all the problems with this team. Kind of many of them kind of stem back to that. And it was just an interesting takeaway for me because I I didn't I didn't think the conversation was going to go in that direction, but it did. Yeah, no, I always uh I always like that Sean's never afraid to like fire back at something he disagrees with. 
Um, me and him don't always necessarily have the same takes, but uh, we we usually can discuss it in a, a way that's just respectful. And I always I just always get a kick out of talking baseball with him because we do see things a little bit differently, but it always ends up just being a great white like lighthearted type of combo. So. But anyway, that is all we have for this week's Socks on 35th podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website at SocksOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook and Twitter at SocksOn35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined as always by Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. We will be back next week as we cover another week of White Sox baseball. Thank you and go Sox. This podcast is over. Go Sox. Go Sox. (laughs) 